don't settle for what you're doing. Like think about what's around you, what you touch every day. There are things out there that you can branch out into and get and get good at. There's always a way out of what you're doing. Like if you work in a kitchen, you know, you really like these knives, go work for the knife company, you know, help influence the way they're, they're made, help show people why there's value in these knives over these knives. There's always a way, you know, and sometimes I fall victim to it like everybody else. It's like, even nowadays, it's like, what's next? There are no rules. No rules. You're listening to Degree Free on the Degree Free Network, where we talk about how to teach yourself, get work, and make money. No degree needed. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Hannah Maruyama. Maruyama. Aloha, folks, and welcome back to Degree Free, where we teach you how to get hired without a college degree. I'm your host, Ryan Maruyama. And before we get into today's episode, if you would like to receive a short email every week detailing different degree-free jobs, degree-free tips to get you hired and get you out of the job that you're in and into a new career, then go over to degreefree.co forward slash newsletter and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Now on to today's guest. I am super excited to have on today, Gene Torres. Gene is the senior pre-sales engineer at Zerto. We get into a whole bunch of things, including what a senior pre-sales engineer even is, because prior to knowing Gene, I didn't even know that this job existed. So I was very excited for this conversation. We get into everything, including what the job is, how he got there, and different things that you can do to get there yourself. We also cover sales in general and some of the other targets that you could look at and look forward to once you become a sales engineer. This is a very wide-ranging episode, and I think you're going to get a lot of value out of it, especially if you had no idea what a sales engineer is. I am really excited for you to hear this conversation because it goes over everything that a sales engineer does. And it gives you just another glimpse of different opportunities, different job roles that are out there that you can get. As usual, you can get links to everything that we talk about, including how to connect with Gene at degreefree.co forward slash podcast. Without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Gene Torres. What would make this successful for me is that people hear it, and it opens doors for them or gives them ideas of you know where to progress from where they're at because uh, where i'm at depending on the industry you're in again right it's it's where you are what you're doing and what's next like is this it and and for a long time for me it was like is this it i don't want to get into management and start becoming a politician in a in an enterprise i want to solve problems i want to you know evangelize solutions and and stuff like that so I, it took me a while to get into what I'm doing because it is sales. And, you know, from my own personal experience, salespeople, you know, knocking door to door, or you go buy a car, or, you know, they're, they're trying to sell you something. To be honest, they're looking at their own best interest. Bottom line, that's what it comes down to. I mean, yeah, they care about your business and what you do. But at the end of the day, it's a job. And uh, I was just like, I don't know if I really want to take this step because I don't want to become that. I don't want to lose touch with what I do, what I love doing, what I'm passionate about and just treat it as a, you know, like an income stream. 
Yeah. Well, when you're talking about that, like, I think it just makes sense actually to start with that. Everybody, this is Gene Torres. Gene is a senior solutions engineer at Zerto. Gene, thanks so much for making the time. Yeah, no problem. When you were talking about, you know, you don't want to go down that route. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. Can you clarify like where you are right now is not where you want to be or when you were back then thinking about becoming, you know, a pre-sales engineer? Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so it was back before I got into it, before I took the step. I did weigh all my weigh all the options out like where can I go? What would the next step be? I have a lot of friends in me, this, the, the jump into sales, and, and we call it the dark side, right, of IT. Um, and, you know, and it, it was just like just my personal experiences, in, you know, being on the consumer end of the sale. It, it's always been like someone is trying to push me into making this decision. They're trying to convince me that this is the right decision to make, and they make it sound good. And then at the end of the day, you know, if I get sucked into it and I end up going with it, if I don't weigh all the options out, the pros, the cons, you know, the value and, and everything, if there's no value there and I just went impulsively into it, then I I get some sense of guilt. Then I just get a bad taste in my mouth for salespeople. You weren't looking out for me. You're looking out for you. You know, at the end of the day, I have the money and you want me to give it to you. So yeah, that, that was like where I didn't want to get to. I wanted to make sure that what I got into was something that I was going to grow into and love and it wasn't only going to benefit me, but it was going to benefit the people that I did it for. The company I work for, but also the customers. That's kind of what I set out on my mission for is getting into this role. I need to be the voice of the customer because I was a customer and I got a ton of experience being in their shoes and living in their world that I know what to look for. And what's funny about this is when you're on the customer end and you're very technical, you know that the solution needs to be. I'd say 80% of the time, 85% of the time, maybe that solution, even if it's the right solution, isn't necessarily what the business buys. And then you got to live with it. So being on the other side, I was like, seeing that they listen to the sales teams in, in delivering this value, this solution, and not so much the people that are on their own team, maybe I can make a difference this way. You know, I can't do it here, but maybe if I circumvent this whole process and come from the outside in with my background in, in, in IT, that would make a difference. And it's it's proven to, to work out that way. You know, like me being a former customer, it almost immediately establishes trust with the customer teams. You know, and that's that's how I approach sales uh, when I do it. And that's why I'm doing the, the engineering side of sales, the, the technical side of sales. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because as we were talking about offline, Prior to us meeting, I had no idea that your job existed. And the way that I view my job is really to know all jobs that are out there so that I can educate the people that listen to this. Because I say it all the time, if you don't have a goal, if you don't have a target, then you don't know what to shoot for. You can't make a plan to get there. And so... I am really excited to get into what a pre-sales engineer is, what you do, what that job looks like. But before that, I did want to comment on a couple of the things that you were saying there, which was, you know, prior to going into sales myself, 
you know, I felt like I had that same conversation with myself. And I was just like, I had a general allergy to sales. That's what I used to tell people. Actually, I was just like, I'm just like allergic to salespeople. I do not want to go to the car dealership and deal with car salesmen. I don't want to go to, you know, like Chinatown or the Asian market where there's no prices and then you got to haggle, you know, and you're just like, ah, just give me a price tag. You're like, I don't want to do it. And so for me, when I went to the dark side myself, I was just like, oh, it's come to this, huh? But I (laughs) felt the same way that you did, which is I found a way to see value in the products that I was selling. And if you see value in products that you're selling, then I can see that it is ethical to help people understand the value of your product and how it can fit in to your life if you're selling B2C, business to consumer, and then B2B, you know, within your organization, business to business. I was just like, now that I am a salesperson or a salesman, am I going to get like super sleazy and get like a grease haircut and you know, like start, (laughs) start wrestling people out of their lunch money. That's funny that it just pops into my head. Whenever I hear the word salesperson, it's like sleazy. (laughs) Cause that's kind of the stereotype they've been given, you know, whether it's in movies or, or personal experience from people, it's, it's the sleazy used car salesman. Right. So there's, there's that. And you just got to make sure that you're getting into what you're getting into for the right reasons. Right. Um, and for me getting into it, it's, it's, first of all, the places, you know, there's, there's so many vendors you can go to or manufacturers you can go to that sell different things that some of them sell similar things that do different things. They they differentiate from each other. And it really comes down to, you know, what am I passionate about? What can I make clear to people? And for me specifically, it's I got into data protection or disaster recovery software. And from personal experience, I know what a disaster at my organization feels like. I've been through it. I don't hear people talking about it anymore, but it used to be a badge of honor when you go, oh, remember that downtime or that outage we had and we were up for 36 hours straight? I'm like, I don't ever want to remember that. Like Anything I can do to prevent other people from experiencing that, let's go. Let's do it. So that's why I ended up at the company I'm at right now is because we're, we're, we're doing something to innovate and modernize how people look at disaster recovery, how they look at data protection. It's interesting. You know, I've never been on the receiving end of like disaster recovery or anything like that. I've never had a massive data failure or anything like that go down, but I have been in the business of recovering from disaster, put it like literally putting fires out. I'm, I used to be a firefighter in, a, in another life. I believe what it is there that you're talking about is that camaraderie amongst people when like literally shit hits the fan and you're just like, Oh my God, what do we do? And then because of that, you guys all have like a unified goal and a named enemy and you all band just for a very, very brief period, the entire organization comes together and it's just like, we're all fingers on keyboards for the next 36 hours. We got to get this figured out. It's one of those things that if you get out of it on the other end, you're like, wow, that was awesome, right? Like we can, we can really do that. Let's never do that again. Yeah. 
Yeah. Or it's like we learned a whole lot from this experience and it's the kind of knowledge you don't get by just simulating. Like when you're in the moment, when things are happening, adrenaline's going, you know, bring the caffeine out. We need the energy. We need the focus, you know, like all that stuff. Um, someone's coordinating, you know, someone's kind of the puppeteer orchestrating everyone. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I need to do this first. You do that. It's really interesting how that all plays out. I mean, it's never fun, but when you look at it, you know, you look back at it, they're like war stories. You know, it's like we did that. You know, we went through that. We accomplished, we, we beat that enemy. We beat that adversary. So it's, you know, rewarding at the end because now you have all this knowledge that you can share with people. And that's, you know, kind of leading again into why I got into what I got into and why I'm doing what I'm doing is because I have that experience and that knowledge to share, knowing all that stuff, knowing how something can fail this way versus it can fail this way and knowing how to fix either scenario doesn't do any, anybody any good if it's just stuck in my head and I don't tell anybody about it. So a lot of it has to do with knowledge sharing as well and and kind of guiding people. You know mostly like the the teaching the fish method. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to senior pre-sales engineer, senior solutions engineer, we were talking offline and those titles seemingly they are interchangeable. What does your job look like? Or what does a senior pre-sales engineer do? Great question. So a senior pre-sales engineer. Now, I didn't really fully understand this until maybe about a couple of years before I made the jump that me too, like, do they exist? Like, what do they exist to do? You know, I always saw the pre-sales engineer who came in and talked to me as the technical guy that I can call to just throw some ideas at and, and bounce it off of him and, and or her and see if I'm going down the right path. When I finally figured out what a pre-sales engineer did, it was more, they're part of a sales team where you've got the account executive or account manager. Those two terms are pretty interchangeable. That's the relationship builder. That's the person who comes in and says, I've got these wares, you know, the trench coat, they open it up, they see all the, the cool little things. Let me take you out to lunch. Let me take you out to dinner. You know, let's talk about this over some drinks. That's kind of what the salesperson, that's not only what they do, but that's kind of the role they play is the relationship builder. So where I focus is more on the technical side of things. So I am the one that needs to show that I meet all your technical requirements. Our software meets all your technical requirements, but it doesn't stop there. It's, you know, if, if you really are a curious person and a lot of engineers are curious by nature, I want to understand how this business works. I want to understand who the end customer is. For example, if I'm working on selling a solution to a hospital, I'm not selling to people on the internet buying stuff from them. I'm selling them something that is going to benefit or provide better patient outcomes because at the end of the day, they exist to serve patients, to save lives and help people out. So what I need to do is align to how my solution is going to improve those outcomes for their patients. It does help to understand and, and research into the different industries, but going back to what I do, it's a whole organization. It's not just my account executive going and knocking on doors or cold calling people. We have a team of what we call account development representatives. We have a marketing team who 
schedules us to go to these events. They gather leads from the events. The, the account development reps call them, and then they qualify in or out whether this is a fit or not. If it's a fit, it comes to us. We reach out. Then we start building the relationship and going down that path of understanding their business and their needs. Excellent. Excellent. And for those listening, that is a very good, concise, short explanation of the sales process in general, but especially B2B enterprise sales. That is amazing. And it's something that honestly, we haven't ever covered on the Degree Free Podcast. So I'm thank you for breaking that down. But for you and what your job is as the pre-sales engineer, as the solutions engineer, basically you're in the data protection world, right? We've established that you help companies avoid massive data loss. Is it, am I am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's not only massive data loss; it's also disruption to their business. So. I mean, if you guys have probably heard like the Colonial Pipeline went down for a while, you know, sometimes the cloud goes down. So even like Instagram and those guys go down. Why isn't this working? So there's disruptions to business and they affect consumers' views of those businesses if they're not available. Because now we live in this world where you're expected to be running 24-7 accessible on the net, accessible. Like if I can't get you via email or phone... I'm going to go to Twitter and blast you so you respond immediately kind of thing. It's almost kind of like what that world delivered to us was just that instant gratification. It's like now I, I don't mail someone a letter and wait for them to respond. If, if you don't respond to my text right away, I'm going to be like, what's up? Why aren't you responding to my text? <laughs> so when it comes to disruptions, there's, there's a number of things that happen to these businesses. You know, like first and foremost thing is loss of revenue. Their revenue stream stops, especially if they're in sales. Could you imagine if Amazon goes down, how much money they make per second, per minute, like how much they lose if they were down for like a, an hour or 24 hours? Massive, right? So one of the goals of what we do in our industry is protect that from happening or bring them back up much faster than any traditional solution. And that's specifically what the company I, I work for, Zerto, does is we build disaster recovery software designed to provide our customers with the least amount of data loss and the shortest time to recover. So we're talking about resuming business in a matter of minutes, maybe hours, depending on scale versus days or weeks or months in some cases, depending on the type of disruption. Excellent. Where you fit in as the pre-sales engineer, what does it look like when you're going through the sales process? So are you setting up like an instance of like dummy account with like some dummy data and showing them that? Or are they giving you a list of requirements of like, this is how our infrastructure is built. And here are the requirements that you have to have in order to implement your technology into it. What is like your actual job look like? Yeah. So, so let me take you through the process of like an opportunity, right? So we'll get the lead. We'll establish the communication with the customer. We'll find out they have an existing project to either introduce a disaster recovery strategy or augment or innovate on it, right? Make it better. And so once we start down that path, we start with a discovery call because we can't go in and just, you know, start spewing speeds and feeds without understanding at first what this environment looks like. Is it truly going to fit into that environment? And is there truly a problem we can solve? Our first call is usually a discovery call and then PowerPoint presentation overview of our company, 
what we do, you know, how we differentiate, just real high level for the business leaders to understand. And then from there, you know, we'll reschedule a call, bring their technical team in, and they'll explain to us what they do today, you know, where some of the gaps are, where the pain points are, what it solves, what it doesn't. And then again, it's, it's almost like a discovery call, but we're now getting more detail where, where we need to fit into and, and really sculpting our message to them and, and deliver, you know, like this is where the value is. This is where you are. This is what you're going to have. During that, there's also where, you know, a point where I get on and it's, it's kind of the gene show, right? The pre-sales engineer show where I walk them through technically what makes this work and why it's different. Part of it is I need to establish first that they understand what we do before I just start going into it. Because if I don't establish that baseline, I'm going to lose people and they're going to think it's something else. And they're going to say, oh, well, we already have this. I'm like, well, that's not what we do. So if, if we get to that point, then I missed a step somewhere. So a lot of it is just really taking the time to listen and ask a lot of questions. So that's really what it is. In order to successfully do what I'm doing, you have to ask a lot of questions. You need to understand other people's business. You know, like, yeah, a lot of people say mind your own business, but in this world, you have to mind other people's business and you have to become a part of it almost. At, at a certain point throughout this relationship we're building, my goal is to become a trusted advisor for my customers. And once I get to that level, I've established a great relationship. They can call me, I can call them, we can have conversations. I'll even go out to lunch with them once in a while and see how they're doing. So it's it's not just like getting in and selling, closing and moving on. We're looking to establish long-term relationships. When you are initially having these discovery calls, you know, your first, your second ones, it's seemingly due to the pretty integral nature of your software, I'm imagining that you're having conversations with pretty high level people. Like what are the roles? What are the titles of these people that you're speaking to? Is it like CTOs? Are they vice presidents? What does it look like? Another great question. My old life, you would never see me talking directly to a CIO or a VP. I'd be talking to a manager who, who then pulls me into a conversation with my director. And then he goes and he, you know, he's the face of us. But being on, on the pre-sales side, it varies. Sometimes we'll talk to systems administrators. Sometimes we'll talk to the CIO of the company. If the company is small enough and the CEO is involved, you know, sometimes the CEO would be on a call. But pretty typically, we try to establish the relationship as high as possible because they are the ones who are driving the business and they have the business need that we need to technically solve. I found oh, the whole time I've been doing this, over time, I've just found out how if you start at the bottom, it's a lot harder to work your way up because those people don't have access to the people up above that make the business decisions. So we always try to start with the leadership. What is your business need? What are you trying to solve? What's going to benefit your business? And then we work down. Once we understand the business need, then we start getting into the technical teams and, and what's going to make them look successful and how we're going to make, you know, like how we're going to fit into their environment. So it can go either way, but we prefer to always start with a business in mind because at the end of the day, it's, it's them who make the decisions, who pay the bills, who buy the stuff, you know, and we just need to align to that. This is a little bit of a technical question or we're getting a little bit in the weeds here, but I'm curious for myself with your solution that you're selling, are you selling it for the entire business and everything that they do? Or sometimes are you guys just selling it for a specific portion? Like let's say they have a couple of different products and are you just selling it for this product and you're just implementing it there? 
So we sell specifically to virtual environments. So over, gosh, since like 2003 is when I started getting into virtualization. So traditionally, you'd have these rack-mounted big beast computers, right? They Then you install some Windows on it, you put an application on it, that's your application. And then over time, it's scaled. So you need multiple instances of those physical machines stacked in a rack, filling a data center to support that one application. So when virtualization came around, all that was abstracted and made virtual because processors got more cores, they got faster, you know, systems were able to be populated with more resources. It no longer made sense to put one thing on one physical piece of hardware. Now we can cram so many things in to share those resources and, and be more efficient with the resources and power. So getting into virtualization, the company that I work for designed software specifically to address disaster recovery in that world because they saw that was where the market was headed. You know, they, they called it. That's exactly where we ended up. So what a lot of businesses did were they took a lot of these bare metal systems and they virtualized them turned them into these virtual computers, basically, and put them on these what we call hypervisors. Hypervisors basically schedulers of resources, memory, CPU, and stuff. So you can put multiple virtual machines in there, and they share resources. They schedule time for the resources, allowing businesses to take their production applications, their critical business applications, and put them on there. But then they need to protect it. So once, once they start protecting it, they can quickly recover it. So we kind of go along with the way technology is going. So fast forward to, I don't know, 2014, 2015, a lot more people are, you know, they're hearing about the cloud. So the cloud is a really big virtualization environment, basically. Everything is abstracted and, and virtualized networking, storage, you know, compute, all that stuff. So our software will protect, basically take a copy of those systems running in one location, replicate them to a secondary or tertiary site, maybe simultaneously. Uh, so that if your main production site and applications go down, we just bring them up. Our software is usually considered, you know, it's, it's your business critical systems to start with. You know, what, what do you absolutely need to, to continue running business? You give us those, you tell us how many of it, we give you a license for it, you protect them, it goes down, you recover it, and then you can replicate it back and put it back where it came from once it's fixed. So that's really what we do. And, and we don't address physical systems, although there are still a lot of physical systems out there. So we were a subset of the data center. You know, we don't touch networking equipment. It's all purely virtual compute workloads that run a business, uh, the applications that run the business. So so we, we protect them, we recover them, we put them back and or we migrate them from like, say, someone wants to get out of the data center and move to the cloud and run everything in the cloud. Then we can help them get there. We can help them get back. Because typically, if you go to the cloud, for anyone listening that doesn't already know, things get really expensive really fast because now you're on a, a consumption model, very much like your power meter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love this because like we talked about, I didn't know this that this job existed or at least pre-sales engineer. And then now that we're getting more into the nitty gritty of actually what you do and what your company does, a lot of people, myself included, you know, when you're trying to make a big career change and you don't know anything other than the industry that you're in, it's so difficult to think like, I want to do something else, but I don't know what's out there. What you just said to me, if you had told me that 10 years ago, my eyes would have glazed over and I would have been like, this is magic. <laughs> like this, th yeah. <laughs> this, this doesn't even make, like, I don't even know what you just said, but 
at least for those listening to this, they have an idea. Like these are businesses, right? Like even though you can't see with your own two eyes, anything that your business does, not really at least, right? I'm sure you guys have an office somewhere, but other than that, the whole business is completely virtual. And, you know, it's, it's all of your IP that makes your business and, and your implementation of that IP that makes your business valuable for people that have no idea. And you're coming like from my background, somebody that was a bartender and a server at a restaurant or working retail, literally in the physical space to even think that your backend system, the point of sale system that you're using, that there's software back there that you know, people are thinking about and backing up these critical things. I had no idea. And so I'm super excited to talk about it. So thank you for giving us that really, that really detailed overview. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. But yeah, when it comes to deciding, you know, where to go from where you're at, it's really like, think about what you're doing, what you're good at and what you love most about what it is, because more than likely you're, you're doing something where you're touching multiple things. You're touching different products. You're touching different technologies. You may gravitate toward, you know, one or the other, or you might have really strong skills in one, like a point of sale system, for example, in a restaurant. You're the person in the restaurant that everyone calls when they can't figure out the point of sale system. You have something there, you know, so, and there, there are those point of sale system manufacturers and customers or, or, or companies that make the software for it that hire people that do what I do. So there's always a way out of what you're doing. Like if you work in a kitchen, you know, you really like these knives, go work for the knife company, you know, help influence the way they're, they're made, help show people why there's value in these knives over these knives. There's always a way, you know, and sometimes I fall victim to it like everybody else. It's like, even nowadays, it's like, what's next? You know, and, and that's, you know, that's just my nature is like, if I get to some point and I feel like it's not as challenging anymore, or I'm not seeing anything new, then I'm already like, how can I take this and do something that's going to give me more growth opportunity? So, yeah, it's just like I, I would just say to, to listeners, like, don't settle for what you're doing. Like, think about what's around you, what you touch every day. There are things out there that you can branch out into and get and get good at. It's awesome that you say that because I totally agree with you, for one, regarding the you know point of sale system or working for the knife manufacturing company. One of the things I've realized once we started doing this degree free thing and having guests on and talking to the people that listen to this podcast and people that are trying to change their lives is that you don't know what you don't know. And it's so difficult to educate yourself and to gain the knowledge of things you don't know about. But one of the things that you can do is exactly what you did. And what we call it is called vocational creativity. And it's basically doing exactly what you said. We did an entire podcast episode for those listening on it. I'll put it in the show notes, degreefree.co for slash podcast for those listening. And it's exactly what you said, like POS system. Okay. Well, let's, let's look that up. Like a very popular point of sale system is Aloha for restaurants or toast now or Clover. You can just go on any one of those people's sites, look up the jobs there and be like, okay, well, what do I need to do to get that job? And if you don't know that, what that job is, you can read the overview of it and you'd be like, Oh, that's a job. I had no idea. That's crazy. Right. Before it was much harder because in order to understand the job, you would read like 
10 different job descriptions and you'd be like, okay, well this company, their account manager does this. And this one, their account manager does this and whatever. Now you can just use like chat GPT or something. And you can just, what does an account manager do at a point of sales system company? And it'll spit out a pretty concise, short little message. And you'd be like, oh, well, how do I get that job? It's funny you mentioned chat GPT. So I went on chat GPT because little hobbyist background for me. I got into gardening, then I got into hydroponic gardening. And we didn't have chat GPT years ago, but now we have it and you know now I have a pool. So I'm 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 doing all the pool care on my own. I'm I'm doing the chemical balance and, and all that stuff. If I had chat GPT available to me when I was heavy into hydroponics, I would have gone and said, how do I build a fully automated hydroponic system that measures everything and can automatically dose it? And then once you figure that out, what materials do I need to do it? So, so you take that same mentality, you go to chat GPT and you say, what does it take to do X? And it'll spit out a result list of the things that it takes. But then you look at that list and you see where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. Go focus on those weaknesses, get good at those and then, and then bring them up to speed. And then before you know it, like you're going to have all this knowledge and you're going to have all that confidence to go and start attacking that goal. So yeah, good point. Good point that you brought up because uh, I don't think it gets enough exposure. I wanted to ask one more question and talk about compensation a little bit before we start talking about your past and how you got to where you are. Because part of having a goal, right? Like while everybody, you know, it is nice to find a job that you love and you'll never work it in your life. Truth of it is, is most of us work for a paycheck. And so when you think of sales, you think, oh, I don't want to go into sales because I don't want to be commissioned, right? Like I don't want to have to basically eat what I kill, that type of thing. I would rather work at a whatever company and then just do this job and get paid whatever, $100,000 a year to do that. For the pre-sales engineer, it seems like it would be like a mix of base pay and commission. I, I, I'm not sure. What what does the commission structure look like? And for somebody at your level and through what you've been through as a, as a pre-sales engineer, what does the pay scales look like throughout? So it varies depending on industry and, and what they sell. I've seen it range anywhere from like 70,000 and up. Uh, a lot of them, SEs are what we call ourselves for short. Uh, a lot of SE pay is based on a base pay with an earning target. So for me, for example, I have an 80-20 split for on-target earnings. And what that means is 80% of my earnings are based on my base pay. The 20% is additional pay I get, not necessarily the same commission a salesperson would get. But if we hit 100% of our sales goal, I will make all of that 100%. And that can range... I mean, that ceiling is, you, you are the limit of that ceiling, basically. There are, you know I mean? So you hit 100 and as soon as you hit 100%, you get into most places, accelerators. So anything above that, you get multipliers. So you can make, you know, way more than what you thought you would make. When looking at a job like this in terms of pay, I would go with the base pay, is can you live on that base pay? Because if you can, then after that, everything's gravy. You could pay debt off. You, you can save up for a house. You can do all kinds of stuff with that money, but then overachieve if you can. Like if, if you're really good at what you do and your product is in high demand, you can, you can seriously blow that out of the water um, and do really good. With your product, 
you they're signing on for a long time. I'm assuming, right? Because yeah. once you're integrated in there, it's a pretty long-term relationship. Is it like insurance where the longer they stay on, the more you get paid? Or is it just the clients that you're booking in this quarter or whatever year, this fiscal year, whatever the bonus targets are? Yeah. So there, there are merit increases and you know standard stuff that go on every year, performance evaluations and stuff like that. There are raises. I, I don't know how raises are going right now with this economy, but some companies get pretty creative. You know, if, if they can't afford to give you a raise, they'll give you some stock. There's always something they can do to get you what you need. But yeah, for this role particularly, so sales is, is, you know, salespeople can come and go, you know, overnight, it feels like sometimes. If they come into a new role and they happen to not do too well, they'll get replaced. You know, someone else will come in which is unfortunate because I've worked with a lot of sales people who were great people that great at what they did, but timing, a lot of this is also timing because uh, we have to contend with budget seasons for a lot of businesses and every business has a budget season. So if we can align with that early enough, we build that relationship early enough, we ride that with them through fruition. I mean, we're good. But if you get in at the wrong time or, or you don't, you know, you completely miss the window, then you've got a lot of makeup to do. So what I see in this, this world is a lot of the salespeople, a lot of them I know have been in role for a long time because, and they've become very successful, but some of them have not been able to become successful. So they move on. Whereas the pre-sales engineers, just looking at the company I work at on average, I think the pre-sales engineers have been there four or five years on average. So for us, it's, it's a pretty long standing stint. I mean, you know, obviously some of us will have friends that work in another company that makes great technology or a great product and you want to go work with them. So, you know, you can eventually go there, but for the most part, a lot of us, you know, we find something that we like, that we believe in, that we can help others benefit from. And we, we tend to stick with it because we get really good. We, uh, we evolve with the product or with the solution itself. And that history goes a long way. That experience goes a long way. So this isn't a role that I would say get in for six months and then go to another company six months later and keep doing that because it's, it's pretty frowned upon. It's a small community. I also imagine that it's pretty difficult to do that as well, right? Because with your job, it is really a mixture of technical and sales. Whereas like sales, for the most part, if you go to a different company, sales is sales is sales, right? And and I'm speaking out of my ass. So if, if I'm completely wrong, let me know. But to me, it seems like, you know, sales is sales is sales. And as long as you go to a different company and you get the product knowledge and you say, okay, what are their demographics look like? Who are we targeting? You know, who are the leads? Okay. And then you go and talk to them with, for you, because you have a technical background and because there's a technical aspect of your job, one, I'm, thinking that it behooves your employer to keep you around longer as well due to the complexity of your job. And maybe I'm wrong, I'm not sure. But then also due to you having to learn the systems, I imagine that it would be difficult for you to go somewhere else and then get ingrained and maybe not monetarily as well, but as far as like do the job and come up to speed as quick as possible or, you know, as quick as you are now. Yeah. So one of the things I want to let you in on is there are a lot of people in this role in, the, in my industry that have established a presence, if you will, with customers. <laughs> it's funny because we have trade shows every year and 
every year. Well, it doesn't seem like it's been doing it at the same as it has been in previous years, but there at one point was a kind of celebrity feel in our industry where you'd go to these massive trade shows and you'd see the guys who are bloggers, podcasters, you know, and they've moved up in the ranks and they've become someone at, you know, high up in a company. So these guys show up and everyone just kind of flocks around to them because they read their blog and, you know, it's, it's like seeing celebrities out in the wild. So that still goes on, but not to that extent, I don't think, because I don't really see it. A lot of it is like, yeah, we, we got tired of that. It's kind of like a sense of building our own brand. And, and in this industry, you build a brand, you kind of build a reputation, you meet people, you network with people. They happen to be, you know, well-known and you become friends with them. It's interesting how, how things can evolve in this world. Yeah, when it comes to longevity at, at like where I'm at, I can stay here for, you know, pretty much as long as I want if I wanted to because my background, my experience, I, I worked in the data center for, you know, Gosh, like 16 years. So that meant I touched compute, I touched storage, I touched networking. You know, I've seen how the business reacts to certain things and why they go the direction they want to go. So you build this breadth of experience and, and understand all this stuff. Along the way, one of the things I didn't realize I picked up was the ability to communicate with these people of different rankings and translate between my technical language and their business language and understand it. So that plays a huge role where I'm at. Plus two, like it's, it doesn't do the employer, my employer, for example, if I came on board and left six months later, issue with that is it took three months for me to get onboarded, basically 90 days to learn the internal systems, the processes, the procedures, establish relationships with customers, with partners. They're going to lose all that up front if I left. You know, so they'll, someone new will come in and, and they'll, they'll have to reestablish all that stuff. So when it comes to like salespeople, same problem. It's like if the salesperson doesn't succeed in the first year and they happen to leave the following year, the hunt for the new person comes on. They get onboarded within 90 days. That kind of slows our sales cycles down because now I'm also kind of training them and, and sharing my experience and knowledge with them. So kind of like when I got a job back in the day and there was no documentation, I'd have to painstakingly go through and document everything I experienced so that when the next person got hired onto the team or we expanded our team, I'd hand a notebook over to them and say, this is everything I picked up. Ask me any questions about it. I'll help you along the way. So that's kind of like bled into what I do today, uh, even with customers when I talk to them and, you know, because we do proof of concept testing with them. They'll get their hands on a license. We'll, we'll put the, the software in their environment. They'll test it out for two weeks. They'll establish a criteria list. These are the things we need to see happen. So that's another part of the job is being able to put this into you know the real world with a customer in a test environment and have them go through it, kind of like test driving a car. They want to see that it's going to solve what they've been fighting with. And then as soon as they check all the boxes that it solves all the problems, it meets the business need, that's where we call it a technical win. And then I've done my job and now it's back to the salesperson. Now you got to go and you got to close this deal, like find out when it's going to happen, what the, what the paper process looks like and all that stuff. So, so yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting how it all works based on what I said earlier, you know, like what my premonitions about sales, like I would say, don't let that scare you because I found out through all this experience and that it's, it's not like that. Like you become part of this, this process. And, and this machine, if you will, that if one piece isn't working right, then the whole thing's not working right. It's not sleazy salespeople. I think the SEs kind of 
keep the salespeople grounded from running away with things too much. Because another thing that we say jokingly is like, we'll go into a meeting and, you know, the account exec will introduce themselves as an account exec and they'll introduce me and they're like, yeah, he's the one that makes sure I don't lie about stuff or, or that I'm telling the truth. <laughs> so, so it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a pretty good community, you know, like even working with my salespeople, like I established a really good relationship with them. You know, we're friends at this point. We hang out. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty fun. It's a cool, it's a cool job. I would love to switch gears and you kind of hinted at it already. I'd love to go to your past. You know, you said 16 years in the industry prior to that. How did you end up as a senior pre-sales engineer or solutions engineer? What does that look like? Because we talked about this offline maybe a few weeks ago. And we were talking about like, there's no school for what you do. If you were like, oh, I want to be a pre-sales engineer. Well, there's no like formal training boot camp or something like that, that you could go to, to do what you do. So how did you end up where you are? Yeah, it's funny. There is no blueprint to get here. Everyone kind of gets into it in their, at their own time on their own will. I started out uh, my technology career at CompUSA back in 1999, repairing laptops. And it just got to the point where I started seeing it as I can turn out a laptop repair in 30 minutes. Like I can just completely disassemble a laptop and reassemble it within 30 minutes. And that was just like repetitive every day. It would, they would come in, I'd, I'd return them, they'd come in. You know, so it, it, it starts feeling like a factory and I'm like, I'm like, all right, I mastered this thing. What's next? You know, like, where do I go from here? So, so along the way, I set little goals and little milestones, right? So I went from, you know, right out of college with my two year associate's degree in computer technology, which basically set me up to pass the A plus certification exam that says I can fix computers. After that, you know, I, I got the job and then I felt I mastered it. So I was like, what's next after this? How can I scale outside of just this and have a wider audience or a wider, you know, reach? Um, so I got into desktop support and then desktop support included doing what I was doing, installing stuff, networking stuff, you know, fixing software problems, you know, like getting into meetings and designing, you know, at a, a very early level, designing what a solution would look like. So once I got to that point, I could have stayed there, but I left Hawaii. So I was living in Hawaii at the time and I was like, well, if I want to grow beyond this, there's not a whole lot of technology happening in Hawaii at the time, like the like 2000, right? So I moved to Seattle where dot-com, right? That, that's where the dot-com boom and bust was. And a lot of these startups were coming up. Microsoft's there, Amazon's there now. And so I went there to Microsoft land and you know, I, I was like, okay, I know how to fix computers. I know how to help other users with their computers. What's next here? Because I was new to the, the region, I got a job at this, this company that did medical billing for the hospitals and they had a help desk position open. So help desk is basically answer the phone and then, you know, create a ticket, go fix what needs to be fixed, come back and check your email, you know, check for the next ticket, answer the phones, repeat, rinse and repeat. So I did that for about a year and a half. Then I was like, all right, this isn't fun anymore. What's next? So I got into servers. I wanted to, you know, like my goal at the time was to go work for Microsoft. So I learned Microsoft technologies. I got really good at it. I implemented the first major email system at that business. And then 
from there, it was like, I started interviewing at Microsoft for some positions. And then it's like, man, this is a really big company. Like what's going to happen? Because this company I work for is small. There's a great culture. Everyone knows everyone. If I go there, I'm going to become a number. So I ended up, instead of going there, I went to the Seattle Children's Hospital. That's where I cut my teeth on server work. I was in the data center now. I was racking servers. I was cabling them. I was deploying stuff. I was supporting end users from a server administrator perspective. Um, I was responding to outages. From there, it was like, what's next? Virtualization's coming. So I ended up, uh, we bought a house about 40 minutes from where I worked. So we moved closer. I found a job closer to home. That's where I got into virtualization and the server technologies and and spent a lot of time there because it was the very bottom floor of virtualization in this business. So I helped facilitate that happening. From there, it was now I've, I've been doing this for so long. What's next? So I went to go work for a partner that was basically like what I did in my desktop days back in 99, early 2000, but at an enterprise level where we were now designing for the data center. And that's kind of where I ended up where I'm at. But for a long time, it was like I was doing just installs and, and break fix stuff. And then I finally made the decision to just go into sales because I can easily relate to the business and easily relate to the users and, and kind of marry the two conversations and, and make it all happen. So yeah, a lot of growing, a lot of setting small goals, milestones, and finding out what I needed to do to achieve each one. Moral of the story is if you set a path for yourself like that, and do your research on what these jobs pay. Like you will see the jumps in income and, and the changes in life that come along with it. But yeah, don't just do it for the money. That was awesome. I love your story because it is a very great depiction of, you know, going from one thing to another thing. And, you know, I don't want to say slowly in a derogatory way, but just kind of slowly working your way up the chain and being intentional about the moves and the life decisions that you're making at the time. You know, you're like, well, I'm at CompUSA. Speaking of CompUSA, were you, so you were actually at CompUSA in Hawaii? Yeah, in Honolulu. Where was the store? That was the one in Alamoana area in town. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think it was the first one, the main one. Awesome. Awesome. And I love that you just went through and intentionally, you know, you made intentional moves in your life that I'm going to go and do this, or I'm going to go work at Microsoft. I'm going to go through this. And you're like, wait a minute, do I really want to work there? Maybe not. Let's take a left turn here or seemingly a left turn, but you know, intentional, right? Like I'm going to put my blinker on and then I'm going to go that way. And then, you know, you're working your way all the way up to virtualization. And, and here you are now, if you had to go back you know, because a lot of people that are listening to this, they're going to say, I know it because I get it in the comments all the time. And I hear people say this like, that's great, Gene. I don't have that much time. <laughs> you know, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, that's great, Gene. You know, you did that in 99 and 2000s. Like the world has changed now. How do I do that now? And how do I get there, you know, the fastest way possible? You know, uh, to get where I'm at, I, I'd say if I were to do it all over again, I would have made the move sooner. I would have gotten earlier. I would have spent much time in certain places uh, knowing what I know now. And, and be just because like I know a lot of other people who didn't spend that much time. I basically say I grew up in IT. I was, I think I was like 19 when I got that job at CompUSA. You know, I'm 44 now. And, you know, I really had no rush to get where I was going. What's crazy is 
back then my goal was to make $60,000 a year. And, and I was just like, within a couple of years, I hit that milestone and never turned back. And I was just like, it just keeps getting better. I mean, like, you know, I just keep climbing. It's like, where do I stop? Where do I settle? And that's, that's the other thing too, is I'm trying to figure out now in my career, like, do I continue to be super hungry or do I just nurture what I've got here and maybe grow with the business, with the company and, and welcome new people in and, and kind of be a mentor to them. So yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. in My career is, is like at this point, if I go and be an SE at another company or, you know, do that every few years, jump to a new company, it's, it's going to be the same thing over and over again. I mean, that's, it's, it's, there's nothing different about it. You know, here I've, I've established relationships, you know, and, and I've built my own brand and, you know, I, I really value and cherish everything this company's done for me because they, they saw a lot of value in me coming from where I came from and wanted to bring me on. I think one of the things that I challenged myself with most getting into this job was the question I asked in my interview with the director at the time was, am I going to do any public speaking? And they said, why do you want to? It's like, you know, it's always terrified me. And I see that as a huge challenge that I like to overcome. They're like, that's what you want. You know, we'll give it to you. So, you know, now I'll go to trade shows. I'll speak on a stage. I'll, you know, do webinars and, and just, you know, I'm, I'm in front of people all the time. So it's, it's a lot of fun because part of that is I get to tell stories along with the technology I'm selling. And, and it's, it's just, it's just, I'm having a blast doing it. It does get stressful. I don't want to steer anyone wrong. It does get stressful because this is financially driven for a lot of people. There are numbers to hit every year. There are goals to hit. Everyone's got goals. Um, businesses have goals to keep growing and keep profiting. So it does get challenging in that aspect, but it's good challenges. Excellent. Excellent. I don't want to take up your whole day, but I did want to pull on a thread. You talked about what's next, right? You're wondering that in your own mind. I would love it if you were able to talk to us about what the different paths are that you're debating in front of you, right? So you were talking about being an SE at some other company. You were talking about staying at where you are right now and nurturing that relationship, building your brand there, becoming a mentor, basically becoming a fixture at your company now. What other branches are there out there for people in your role? So basically in my role, I am focused on a region. Uh, in my case, Southwest. The next step up here from here could be an overlay for multiple regions. You know, that's like an enterprise architect is what we call those those roles. I actually did that a couple of years ago before they they canceled the position and I got moved into marketing or technical marketing uh, for another day. But yeah, so so you can branch out into that. You can I can go into leadership. I can be a you know an SE manager or you know work my way up to be a, a director. You know, so there's regional based leadership positions. There's there's uh, country based leadership positions. There's other positions within the company that I can move around into. I know for sure I can. You know, I've done it already. I can go into technical marketing. It'd be more of the marketing side of things. And or I, I just heard we're opening up a field CTO position. You know, so a field CTO is going to you know, have all the messages and have all the experience and the stories to, to go and talk at a high business level. So yeah, there's there's a lot of places to go from here. I'd say I wouldn't let a title limit it. Um, it's, it's basically taking what I've learned and being able to apply it where I feel is it could be required or, or ne it's needed. There's a gap to fill. 
Yeah, it can even get into product management and help drive the direction of the product. And, you know, sky's the limit. Just depends on how much work I want to put in and where I want to go. I just think at this time, it's I need to just assess, you know, and see where things are. I think in my life right now, I've got three kids. My oldest is 17 this year. And I'm like, I got to stop living like I don't have kids that are going to become adults soon. And I got to start thinking about what is important now to me and what I don't necessarily think is important because there are some things that I still do that I, I mean, I don't, I still think I'm like 29, you know, <laughs> still doing stuff that, that I'm just like, why do I still do this stuff? It's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like that, that where to go next is not just a career question. It's just a life question in general. It's like, what do I want to do now? You know, the kids are getting older, you know, and I'm getting more time back with my wife and I can focus on, you know, work stuff. I can, I can actually have hobbies and, and stuff like what do I want to focus on? What do I want to get good at? What do I want to do? Do I do I want to take on extra work or do I want to take on extra play? Right. So, so do I want to spend more time golfing, you know, playing golf or, or do I want to spend more time, you know, playing in a lab, learning new stuff? Like, well, yeah, there's an aspect, you know, I have to keep up with what's happening, but doesn't mean I have to go and be the best at that and, and constantly, you know, challenge the newcomers who are fresh and have faster ways to get there. I think that I think everybody hits that place in their career and they confront that whenever you reach some sort of like, you know, I'm using success in quotes here because success looks different for everybody, but I think everybody confronts that at some point and they're just like, well, it really, what it is, is just a prioritization problem, right? You're just like, just by definition, when you prioritize things, right? Like one thing has to be more important than the other thing. Like if you spend the equal amount of time on two things, you know, they're not like one's not more important than the other. It's like, do you continue to be quote unquote hungry and go after your career? Or is it, yeah, exactly what you said. Are there bigger things out there for my life that matter to me? Like you said, golf, right? I mean, and golf is one of those things. We just golf together, uh, a week ago or so, right? And it took up six hours of the day or so. And so, yeah. right? And that's six hours that you could yeah. have been doing something else with your kids, or it could have been six hours where you were studying your industry and trying to get ahead. And, you know, your actions are basically, are ultimately, you know, your vote of what you want to do. But yeah, definitely being mindful of those decisions is, is huge. I did want to cue in on one last thing that you did say, which is, you know, not limiting yourself by the titles you're looking at from here. I yeah. think that that is an amazing place to start to wrap up and wrap this up because that is really the key that we are trying to tell people, which is there are no rules, right? There are no rules and there's no cookie cutter solution to your career and to your life and how you want that to look. Like you were saying, if you want to go into product, go into product. I mean, you're a sales engineer and some of the product managers there might be like, well, he's not a product guy. Like, what is he? What is he doing here? You know, he's he's fingers on keyboards. He's a sales guy. He's an engineer guy. He doesn't know how to prioritize different tasks and and do all the, the all of these fancy agile stuff that we that we do and whatever whatever. 
Or you can go into a completely different industry within the SE work, within your sales engineering work. I think that's the key for everybody is taking a critical look at the skills that you have and seeing how it can apply to different roles and to different companies. It takes a lot of practice to do that. But if you can do that, you will never be hungry. You will never be, you'll never be wanting for work. Yeah. So one thing I want to also call out too is like with the what next, what's next thing is, you know, I've seen some SEs go and become directors of IT at customer companies and stuff. So, you know, a lot of these skills that you're picking up along the way, and, and it doesn't have to take as long as mine did because I've seen other people move faster. And it's basically what you do, who you know, you know, like, and how you go about it, you know, and how you show you're hungry and, and keep growing. So you can go as fast or as slow as you want. But for me, I wasn't in a hurry. I, have all my, I had my whole life ahead of me. Yeah, it's just one option too. you know, go and hang out at a company and become a director, you know, help be a part of that business and grow it, you know, take everything I've, I've learned and bring it back to a customer and come full circle. Or get out of the industry altogether and find something that I truly will wake up to and love doing every day because it's chill. Because I'm tired of running so hard all the time, you know, because that's the downside to like a high technology job is it's very fast paced. You're constantly feeling like you're running, especially if you travel, especially if you're doing events. September and October are just crazy packed with the events for me. So I'm going to Vegas, I'm going to LA, I'm doing stuff in Phoenix and Scottsdale. And at the same time, I'm supposed to be selling. So it gets pretty hectic. Burnout is a real thing. So that is the biggest thing to watch out for is burnout. Once you feel like you don't want to go to work that day because you're so tired and no matter how much sleep you get, you just, you need to take a break and, and you need to identify that. So don't be in too much of a hurry, like take things a little slower and be strategic about it. I would say for me, I wasn't very strategic. I was just like, there's the next goal. I'm going to go run as hard as I can to get to it. You know, I'll be the first one to it and then the first one to the next one. And then I finally get to the end of the, the race and, you know, the marathon even. And I'm just like, why did I do that? <laughs> you know, what did I get out of it? Now I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, it was, it's been a fun journey, you know, and it's, it, that shouldn't stop anyone from doing it. You know, and it goes to show that you don't need the fancy four-year degree to get what you want. You just got to be really good at something. Find what you're good at, find what you love and what you're passionate about. You can talk to people about and they'll see that in you and, and you know, it'll open doors for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Gene, a couple of things before we go that I ask everybody. One, for people that want to follow along with your career or say hi, where can I point them? Where can they say hi and follow along with your career? I'll give you uh, my LinkedIn link uh, URL. I'll give you that. I have a Twitter account, but I'm not very active on Twitter. Uh, I just find nothing good to say on Twitter. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I'm just putting stuff out or put stuff out there. I do have a blog that I've been writing for the past, gosh, since 2016, I think. I'm not a habitual blogger, but for anyone that goes to my blog, it's genetorres.me, G-E-N-E-T-O-R-R-E-S.me. My approach to blogging is basically like my public facing notebook problems I've encountered that I found unique solutions to problems that my customers have encountered that they reached out to me to, to solve or help them figure out. I blog about that and I show people other ways to do things. Um, a lot of these can be pretty obscure stuff, but 
they solve problems. So yeah, yeah, don't be alarmed by my infrequency of, of blogging, but that's, that's my presence. I kind of treat it as a living resume as well. Another thing too, building your brand, if you have something to blog about, to share your knowledge and show your expertise, definitely do it. That is the best form of a resume you can ever have. Excellent. And for everybody listening, I will have links to everything that we've talked about and those links where you can find Gene at grieffree.co forward slash podcast. And Gene, are there any final words or thoughts or anything that you'd like to say before we get off? Any pieces of advice? I'm open to discussion with anyone who finds me and wants to ask questions. Maybe you're stuck somewhere. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to get out of a role you're in and, and branch out or move into something else. I don't keep secrets about how I've grown. Everyone's capable of doing it. Again, it doesn't make any sense for it to stick up in my head forever and not be able to share it with other people to see them succeed on their own find their own success in their terms. Excellent. Excellent. And Gene, once again, thank you so much for making the time. And hopefully we can have a round two at some point. Today, we had a little bit of a technical difficulties while we were getting started. So we didn't have, have as much time as I wanted. And I know that there's a lot more that we could talk about. I definitely have a bunch of notes here. So hopefully sometime we could do a round two. Yeah, we've touched on a ton of topics. You know, maybe we get together, outline those and see if we can branch off into each different one. Whatever I can do to help your listeners find their way. Yep, absolutely. Or be more creative about how they're approaching it. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Once again, you can find links to everything that we talked about at degreefree.co forward slash podcast. And if you would like to receive a short weekly email about different degree-free jobs and how to get hired by degree-free companies and how to live a degree-free life, then go to degreefree.co forward slash newsletter and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. I will see you next week. Until next time, aloha.